0: We the ones, <laughs> we the ones they talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Broadway Sports Media. Your fighter.
1: Justin and Justin, Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll
2: you probably piece something together.
0: Outstanding. There
2: was an earthquake in the middle of the podcast.
1: Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do.
0: We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Titans! Titans!
1: Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. We got a jam-packed show for you guys tonight. A little bit of news, then we're going to recap the Titans' come-from-behind victory over the Seahawks, followed by a preview of the upcoming division matchup with the Indianapolis Colts. We got the athletic Steven Holder on to help us preview that game. But first, let me ask you, Justin, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. We
2: got a lot to talk about today. That was a big, big game on Sunday. Titans got their first AFC South game of the year coming up this coming Sunday, and they've made a couple roster moves. So we got a lot to get into today.
1: That's right. I'm glad you teed me up there. The Titans cut Bradley McDougal and Anthony Rush a bit surprising. McDougal. we spent all this time on the last podcast talking about McDougal with Michael Dugar of The Athletic Seattle, and he's telling us about how everyone loved McDougal. He's a great teammate. He's a versatile player. He can play in the box, can play deep. And the Titans cut him after one start. He did give up some big plays. He gave up the first long completion where he was just not there. He was a few steps behind Tyler Lockett. And then later on, Elijah Molden ran into him and knocked him completely out of the play, but he wasn't really in a great position to begin with either way. So I don't know, I guess we were a little too high on Bradley McDougal. The Titans said goodbye. They cut him. Dane Cruikshank played a lot of snaps. Guess they don't think they need McDougal. And it's kind of crazy. Jonathan Boren tweeted this out today. It's a little surprising to see a guy go from starter to cut. He doesn't go from starter to bench, just outright. Cut goodbye. You're not even good enough to be on the team anymore. Crazy.
2: And a lot of people were were, were crapping on Borin for that take, but I, I agree with him and I said the same thing immediately. I mean, this is a guy like you said. We we spoke a lot about him last week. I don't regret that, by the way, because he did end up playing 39 snaps, so he yeah. had a significant role to play in the game. And Michael Sean, uh, you know, our guest last week, helped us break that down. So uh, I don't regret spending that time that we did on him, but. I'm also surprised. I agree with with Boren's sentiment, and I said it at the same time, because for a guy to go from starter to unemployed in three days is pretty rare. You know, I mean, a guy played 39 snaps. No, he didn't play well, and Dane Cruikshank largely took over for him in the second half. Uh, Crookshank came in and played 34 snaps in his own right. So McDougall still outsnapped him them by five snaps and he played a little bit in the overtime. So it's not like they glued him to the bench completely. Yeah. So to see this, uh, it, it's a little surprising because they're still thin at the position, right? You've got Amani Hooker still on injured reserve, not ready to come off that list yet. So uh, I, I'm expecting that they're going to make a move here. You know, I I, I I had said the same thing about the defensive line when they cut Anthony Rush. And I was correct about that because they promoted Naquan Jones uh, to the active roster. We'll get into that. But I expect another like-for-like move to happen here. Whoever they they, they let go of McDougald, they're going to replace him with a safety. Whether that's one of the guys on the practice squad, a guy like Jamal Carter, or a versatile DB like uh, Breon uh, Bodie Calhoun, Or maybe they call up Chris Jones, you know, a versatile DB that was with them throughout training camp in the preseason and actually made the initial 53, by the way. Uh, He's not currently on the practice squad, but that's a guy I can see them tapping into. So I do think something's going to happen here at safety.
1: Yeah, and it could be one of those situations like we saw Michael Pruitt in week one was elevated off the practice squad for the game. And then week two, he's actually on the roster. We could see someone like Jamal Carter get elevated just for the game Hooker won't be eligible to come off IR for another couple weeks. So they could roll with Carter for, for the next couple of games or we'll see what happens there. But I do like that prediction as something that will happen. And Dane Crookshank played a lot and he played pretty well. And I, I just want to say Dane Crookshank didn't necessarily replace McDougal. Like Crookshank was in, in the first quarter, he was playing snaps early on. I think he was in with McDougal and Kevin Byard on a few plays Kirkshank was playing in the box a little bit, almost playing like a little bit of a linebacker role, actually in the two minute drill, that awful two minute drive that the Titans gave up right before halftime. And Alex Collins explodes up the middle on his first carry of the season for 40 something yards. It was Dane Kirkshank was right there at the line of scrimmage like showing pressure, but I guess the play call was for him to bail immediately into coverage. Titans, obviously not expecting a run there and Dan Crookshank like vacated the hole that Alex Collins proceeded to run right through. So that was a a weird play. It's not necessarily Crookshank's fault. Maybe he should key something sooner there, or maybe the coaching staff should say, Hey, it's not a guaranteed pass. Like you have to be ready to defend the run still, but um yeah, we we have one other bit of news to talk about before we really get into the game. There is Naquan Jones promoted from the active roster, as you mentioned, and not just mentioned, but broke. You had this story. So props to you for that scoop. Um, Anthony Rush, also a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I'm assuming they were just
2: maybe weren't crazy about the progression. Uh, you know, I talked about Anthony Rush a lot throughout the preseason and training camp. He was a guy that they liked a lot you know, in, in that, uh, in that during late August. So I, I don't know if what's changed over the last few weeks, but he didn't play a lot against Seattle. I think he was actually only in on one defensive snap. He uh, was active for the game, but he didn't see a ton of the field. Uh, and now they're deciding to go younger. You know, Naquan Jones is a guy that they've been a fan of the entire time, signed him as a UDFA immediately after the draft gave him the largest signing bonus, by the way, out of anyone in their UDFA class, uh, you know, showed some things throughout training camp, showed some things in the preseason. There were also areas where you could tell he was young and needed to grow, but they stuck with him the entire time. They immediately put him on the practice squad after they released him on the final cutdown day, which I believe was August 31st. He'd been on the practice squad for all three weeks. You know, not everyone can say the same thing. You look at Christian talaro who's been cut and re-signed to the squad like three or four times already. I, I had a good laugh with Christian about that uh, the other day, but, but Naquan's been there the whole time, and, and now he gets a chance to come up to the active roster and not just only that I'll make a prediction that he might be active for that game against Indianapolis this Sunday I mean I don't think they're going to want to be in a situation where they only have four active D linemen right they've had five for both weeks being Anthony Rush being the fifth so with Naquan taking that number five spot not only is he on the team but I think he's going to be active on game day and and he might get a chance to play a little bit so uh, I'm happy for him he's a great guy I got to know him well Um, After he signed with the Titans, did an interview with him on broadwaysportsmedia.com. So if you're interested in learning more about him, head over there, head over to BSM, search his name in the search bar, whatever you got to do to find it, dig up that interview from a couple of months ago when he first signed with the Titans uh, and and learn more about him because he's a guy that they're
1: high on. All right, let's talk about what happened on Sunday because the Titans bounced back strong, but it was not without more adversity Team rallied from a 24 to 9 deficit. You've probably heard this stat by now, but Seattle was 52 and 0 as a franchise when leading by 15 or more points at home. They are now 52 and 1. That's an insane stat. It's the first time the Seahawks have lost their home opener in like 10 years or something like that. So the Titans pulled off what some might have said was a very difficult feat making this comeback. Ryan Tannehill, you know, led the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks last year. He's already got one to his name this year in two weeks, but I want to start off by asking you, what about this game did you like the most? So first thing I want to touch on that quickly, the 52-0 and 0
2: stat went up by 15. What a crazy stat, mean, It's insane. It, it shows how tough they are to beat at home, and, and the Titans knew that going in. I think that's – Seattle's one of the teams that has the best home field advantage in the National Football League. What's more impressive, you know, everyone's focusing on that 52-0 and 0 stat, and I get it, rightfully so, but that 15-point lead was at halftime. The Titans were down 14 in the fourth quarter. You know, so that's that's really the one that gets me when it when it comes to the comeback in regards to what I liked about this game. It's it may be the cliche answer, but it, it has to be how they battled back. Right. Not not only how they battled back from being down 15 at half and being down 14 in the fourth quarter, but really how they were answered the bell, uh, you know, for, from the week one disappointment. Right. I think I think everyone I mean, if you listen to this podcast, if you were on Twitter, heck, if you ran into a Titan fan in real life and spoke to them, That week one disappointment was real, you know, couldn't, you know, 38, 13, the expectations were high, as we all know, it it was mind blowing. And and it was as disappointing as a loss as as they've almost ever had, uh, truth be told, given the expectations and the excitement going into the season. So I think, you know, Mike Vrabel said all throughout the week, we're going to find out a lot about who we are when we, we look ourselves in the mirror and how we show up in this game. And it started poorly, right? I mean, at halftime, I'll be—I was pretty much writing them off. You know, it's twenty-four-nine. Seattle goes on that fi- that final drive of the half, like you said, it was just more, the worst defensive drive imaginable. You, you you can't put together a worse drive defensively outside of a one-play eighty-yard score. I, I, I'd almost argue this was worse, right? Because at least yeah. that's that's sort of in a in, in, in a that's more of an isolated incident, right? But this was just. Bang, bang, bang. Every play, they just strolled right down the field. They didn't even have to call a timeout as many people have pointed out. So that was terrible. That extended the lead to 24-9. It happened shortly after the Julio Jones touchdown was disallowed. So you really felt the energy just kind of get sucked out of that team, or at least you thought that would be the case. So, Uh, that's what I liked the most, the way they battled back, the way they stuck to their guns. Uh, There are a lot of things to like in this game, obviously, and I'm sure we'll get into more of them shortly, but uh, really just the way that they battled back is what really sticks out to me.
1: Yeah. 33, 30 final Ryan Tannehill throws for 347 yards and the nullified touchdown to Julio Jones, Derek Henry. This surprised me. 35 carries for 182 yards, three touchdowns, along with a career-high six catches for 55 yards. 35 carries is his career-high. I did not know that or expect that wow. even. Like, that sounds low to me. <laughs> I
2: didn't know that either. I actually didn't know that until right now. Funny, I don't know. That one got by me. Uh, so many stats throughout the week. There was so much information on Twitter. I mean, it's a it does surprise me. Yes, it does and it doesn't. It, sorry, is what I should say, because 35 is a lot of carries. You know, it I mean, is, that's not, but... That's not a workload you want <laughs> yeah. on a weekly basis, but how about a career high six catches, right? For they, they, they don't really use him in the passing game. I mean, they never have, but hey, he was a check down guy. And by the way, I mean, let's, of course, the, the rushing yards the 60 yard touchdown. Heck, even the nine yard touchdown when he reversed field, that was terrific. Uh, but what about the job he did in pass protection? I mean, like that's going to go kind of under the radar because the numbers are what they are and the win and all that. But he was, I don't
1: know that I've seen him play a better game in pass pro than he did on Sunday and not just against any scrub linebackers or whatever. He's he was b- picking up the best blitzing safety defensive back in the game yeah. in Jamal Adams. I mean, that was and really impressive. And that's a tough
2: Seattle front. I mean, I, there's not a lot of star power there, but tough game for Derek Henry and pass pro and he, and man, he answered tough assignment. I should say, cause he really, really came through and answered the bell.
1: What's crazy to me about this game just in general is that, and it, I mentioned earlier, Ryan Tannehill led the NFL fourth quarter comebacks with five last year, but most people think, you know, you take out Derrick Henry or you, you get up to a lead against this Titans offense and you take off to basically take Derrick Henry out of the game by getting up to a 15 point lead or whatever. And the Titans are done. You know, people look at them and the Ravens is kind of similar, which I think a lot of people feel that way about the Ravens too, because their offense is so predicated on the running game. But I think that's a false narrative that we need to get out of here because Ryan Tannehill led this comeback. I mean, obviously Derrick Henry was huge. But Tannehill, I mentioned 347 passing yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, no interceptions, only took three sacks. And one of those was like, he didn't even stand a chance. It was as soon as the ball was snapped. I think Nate Davis had a miscommunication with Questenberry, and he just let somebody come right up the middle and flatten Tannehill on one of those plays. So I love the way that Ryan Tannehill was able to lead a comeback with his arm, also relying, of course, on that 60-yard run by Derrick Henry to get things going, but Julio Jones showed up. It was nice to see him actually look like a Hall of Famer in this game. And now we just need to get him and A.J. Brown to both be on their A games in the same game. It's nice when you have both guys because week one, Julio was a little off his game. A.J. Brown sort of at least able to step up a little bit. He scored a touchdown. Titans offense was was brutally awful that game all around. But at least A.J. was there. Week two, A.J. Brown can't catch anything. Julio Jones steps up in a major way with 128 receiving yards and a touchdown that didn't count, that definitely should, well, I wouldn't say definitely should have counted. I guess it was the right call. It's just a bad rule. It's the right call. If you touch down out of bounds, you're out of bounds. So it is what it is. Let's talk a little bit more about the defense. We haven't really gotten to the defense at all. Defense got some pressures in this game. How about Danico Autry was all over the field, finished with one and a half sacks two QB hits Titans had six QB hits in this game, which I know Wilson likes to hold the ball and run around a lot, but that's nice to see from this pass rush that we needed to see bounce back.
2: I thought Dina Autry played a really good game. And I thought Jeffrey Simmons played a great game too. You're starting to see that Mississippi connection uh, kind of come through here. And they both did excellent work. I mean, Autry there was one play near the end of the first quarter where he shoves Russell Wilson out of bounds as Russell's trying to run around and make magic that that play almost took out to me more uh, than Autry's uh, one and a half sacks did. So they both right. played great games. I, I, I hope Boren doesn't listen to this because you know we've kind of gone back and forth arguing about the defense. But I, I do think they generally played a pretty good game. Now, obviously, the three plays where Seattle got 50 yards on, on each play, that has to stop, right? And, and we can't forget about those. That is terrible. Those miscommunications, those breakdowns in the secondary, that has to stop. And we have to consider that when we talk about the defense overall. But outside of those plays, I, I thought they played a pretty good game. You know, I thought Bud Dupree played a good game. He didn't jump off the stat sheet, but I thought he played great containment on Russell Wilson on a lot of plays and and made his presence felt. We talked about Autry and Simmons. Christian Fulton was absolutely terrific. I mean, almost took DK Metcalf out of the game. I think uh, uh, five of Metcalf's targets were with Fulton in coverage. He caught one of those balls for eight yards. I mean, that's just terrific. So Christian Fulton continues to emerge, continues to take steps in the right direction and looks like a hell of a football player uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins had good moments as well. He's super physical, super intense. He had that one tackle. I think it was the last play of the first quarter where uh, I, I was shocked by how physically he met Metcalf uh, at the catch point and, and wrangled him to the ground. So uh, I, I do think this defense is better than it was a year ago. Look, 38 points against Arizona, 30 against Seattle it doesn't look great. Uh, from that perspective but I do think they they are better than they they were a year ago and I think you'll start to see some of that come together as the year goes on and those point totals will start to creep down a little.
1: One other area I want to talk about here is I think this was kind of the difference in the game to me to be honest is the first half versus the second half Titans red zone success. In the first half they got to the red zone three times, went 0 for 3, they kicked three field goals. Obviously the Julio touchdown that got called called back was part of that. But in the second half They made it to the red zone three more times and they scored two touchdowns. And the last time was the game winning field goal in overtime. So that hardly counts as not scoring on a red zone trip, in my opinion. So way better in the red zone in the second half. And they looked like the Titans of 2019 and 2020 under Ryan Tannehill, which was the best red zone team in football. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come. The offense finding its way, Todd Downing, understanding how to coordinate this particular offense. Hopefully, you continue to see improvement and sustainability in that area. I thought it was really interesting how the Titans utilized their running backs in the passing game. We talked about Derrick Henry, a career high six catches. Jerry McNichols also had a lot of catches on that final drive. I'm not sure how many came on that final drive. Possibly all three for 26 yards on that drive that they tied the game on. Was um, really interesting how the Seahawks just kept. They were running a lot of cover two, a lot of stuff. They didn't want to get beat over the top. And just giving Tannehill the check down and Tannehill was patient and smart and efficient, kept hitting his check down and moving the ball and the Titans marched pretty much all the way down the field, just hitting their backs out of the backfield. It was pretty crazy.
2: It was nice to see the Titans take advantage of what was given to them on offense. Right. And, and, and on Todd Downing, by the way, a lot of credit for showing terrific growth from week one to week two. Uh, I mean, look, uh, the players obviously executed better as well. And that has a lot to do with it, but uh, Downing, you know, the play act, well, a lot was made about the play action thing, right? Week one, I think there was play action called on like five of Ryan Tannehill's dropbacks, which was a lower percent. 5%. Or five, yeah, it was like something crazy. It, it was 5%? the lowest ever since Ryan Tannehill's <laughs> yes. been in Tennessee. The lowest since Tannehill's been in Tennessee. So that was a big talking point after week one because we kind of went from Todd Downing's not going to change anything. This offense will be fine. He's going to continue exactly what Arthur Smith did to, oh my God, Todd Downing is changing everything and it's not going well, right? Obviously, that was just week one, but the overreaction uh, always is going to happen. But you look here, Tannehill was nine of 12 on play action against Seattle, 14 dropbacks, attempted play action on nine of 12. The three incompletions were all drops. He would have been 12 for 12 on play action if the receivers caught the ball. So mind blowing great sign for the Titans. That that identity is still very much there. Good uh, sign on Todd Downing, who obviously seemed to have learned from his week one mistakes, even if he won't admit it, you know, he said that week one, they were too much in second and long and third and long for him to dial up more play action, but no doubt, that he made
1: more of a conscious effort to do it in week two. And, and he ran uh, it, hats off to him. And he ran it play action uh, that is on first down a lot in this Seahawks game, which we didn't see hardly any of the week before. And he blamed second and third downs. Just run it on first down, run it, meaning play action. And he did. So it was nice to see. Last thing I want to talk about here before we move on to the Colts game is the offensive line. Taylor Lewan ruled out moments before kickoff Roger Saffold in and out of the lineup all day. Didn't finish the game. Ben Jones went down at least once Aaron Brewer stepped in and played really well. Tyson Brelo started at left tackle and didn't play bad at all. How about the job by this offensive line coming off one of their worst performances over the last few years to have maybe one of their best, all things considered given those injuries. I thought, you know, great job. Credit to Keith Carter, the offensive line coach for having all those guys ready to go, but. What a job by Aaron Brewer and Tyson Brelo to step in. And with David Questenberry, who you kind of thought was a reserve already, starting at right tackle is, is, that's a pretty impressive job by that unit.
2: All of those guys were terrific. You can't say enough good things about Ty uh, and about Q on the edges there. I mean, for Ty, stepping in at left tackle an hour before the game, you know, finding out that you, that's where you're going to play. After spending all of training camp, by the way, uh, trying to earn the starting job at right tackle. So I don't even know how many reps he got at left tackle uh, throughout the summer. Obviously he's played there in the past, but still, you know, going back and forth is not easy. Go ask uh, Penny Suell down in Detroit, right? A first round rookie who's really struggled with making the transition over to the right side at times. So great game by all of them. Now I'm curious to find out about Luan's status going forward. Is he available for this game against Indianapolis?
1: Well, one thing it's, that's good to know is that, um, he hasn't been placed on IR at least as of Tuesday evening Titans made some roster moves today has not been placed on IR and Mike Vrabel said he was asked about Saffold and Lawan in Monday's press conference. And he said, we'll see how those guys feel this week, which makes me think that an IR move is not imminent in any way. There was some speculation that Lawan could end up on IR this week, but looks like he's avoided that maybe just tweak something. I hope he takes the week off to rest and gets back healthy because I want to say the Titans need him. I don't know if they need him, but based on how they played, but he definitely doesn't hurt. And he just, without Taylor LeJuan, who's your backup tackle now? You know, at least when Lewan's healthy, you you feel confident that if he does go down, Cimbrelo can step right in and everything will be more or less fine. So we'll have to watch that this week, monitor the injury reports to see how Lewan and Saffold are doing. But that is one thing I got to say. and And we talked about this a lot in the preseason is that The Titans offensive line depth is pretty reliable as far as offensive line depth goes. I mean, most teams don't have five starter level players on their offensive line. So I think that the Titans have seven or eight is the type of thing that helps a team make a deep playoff run when injuries start piling up. You just don't like to see those injuries piling up in week two. So hopefully these guys can get healthy and get ready for for a long season ahead.
2: I think that's a good point because guys like Sombrelo and, and and I'm a big Aaron Brewer guy, as you know, guys like that can come in and they're not going to lose you a football game. Right. right. And typically, and, and truthfully, you can't say that about a lot of reserve offensive linemen in this league. Right. We saw Kendall lamb in week one. I mean, imagine if for 10 snaps, if, if, if he, and I know he's a Titan, of course, but if he had played the whole game at left tackle, I mean, that, that alone could lose you a football game based on that sample size. So having a guy like Sombrelo, having guys like Aaron Brewer, having guys like David uh, there at right tackle, uh, it, it's great for the depth of the of the line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I kind of want to ask you about the defense. I feel like we didn't touch on the defense enough here. We mentioned the, the big plays they gave up. We mentioned Danico Autry playing well, Harold Landry playing well, but we haven't really talked about Christian Fulton too much yet. Christian Fulton pretty much shut down DK Metcalf. Maybe he should have been on Tyler Lockett, who destroyed the Titans, but Metcalf did not do a whole lot. I do think after careful, careful review and discussion with the retired Mike Herndon and the esteemed Superhorn, that long touchdown that was completely wide open by Freddie Swain that made it 30 to 16 might have been on Fulton. But my read on that, I mean, just based on just like standard coverage rules, you would think that that was Fulton. Titans run some inverted cover two stuff. Could have been on Chris Jackson to carry that receiver up the seam. And the way that Christian Fulton walks up to Jackson after the play, he's like talking to him. He's like pointing at his chest and pointing at Chris Jackson's chest and pointing at stuff on the field. Is like, I think he's saying something like, hey, if there's no one that goes that way, or if this receiver runs here, or if the number two guy takes you up the seam, You carry it or something. Um, Although I do think Mike Vrabel hinted, he didn't say it outright, but he kind of hinted that Fulton may have been responsible for giving up that long touchdown. But outside of that one play, Christian Fulton looks like the lockdown cornerback one that you and I have been saying he's going to be for literally a year and a half now. I mean, he was – I mean, yeah, and, and we got the proof. We can go back to the tape of the Titan, which I think
2: is still on YouTube, where we're breaking oh, yeah. down film with Fulton uh, w- while he was still, uh, you know, uh, at LSU. Or, or sorry, film from his time at LSU. So – We've been on that 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 hype trade for a long time now, and it's, the early return in year two has been terrific. I mean, in week one against Arizona, he was one of the very very lone bright spots, uh, not just on the defense but on the team in general. He took AJ Green out of that game, and admittedly, after you know after that contest, I put my hand and said, "Well, it's AJ Green. I'm not going to really buy too much into it yet." Green is a much older receiver; he's not the player that he was heck, five, six, seven years ago. But to see what Fulton did against Metcalf, I mean, I, I said it earlier this episode, but five targets for Metcalf with Fulton in coverage, one catch, eight yards. I mean, there aren't many tougher assignments in all of football than covering DK Metcalf on the outside. I mean, the, the combination of size, speed, and the just the physical ability, the, the, the raw natural athletic ability with this guy is through the roof. So I think Fulton, and they were jawing a lot. Did you notice that? They seemed to have some good back and forth. They were jawing out there. They're having a good time uh, talking trash. So uh, I'm pumped up about Christian Fulton. Again, the sample size is small, but I can't wait to see him go up against Michael Pittman this week. Uh, I hope we see him cover him on a pretty consistent basis because Pittman's coming off a career game, by the way, best outing of of his career for the Colts in week two. So would love to see a lot of Fulton on Pittman in this game. And Fulton drew some
1: penalties on Metcalf too at least two, maybe three oh, yeah, really blatant holding penalties by dK Metcalf that uh that yeah, that Christian Fulton was there and helping antagonize and Michael Pruitt was amazing in this game. I just saw a play on Twitter a little bit earlier. I retweeted it if you want to go check out my Twitter feed to see it where he just buries Jamal Adams in run blocking on one play like buries him deep, deep into the turf. It looks like one of those. George Kittle college highlights, except this is in the NFL against one of the best safeties in the league. So Michael Pruitt, I mean, I don't know why the Titans ever thought they didn't need him anymore, but I'm really glad he's back. He's been playing really well already. And I think he really is our call for all of Titans fans. That's my last thought on the game. Anything else? <laughs>
2: I'm really glad you brought him up right at the end here. Cause I was going to say, we have not talked about Pruitt at all. and And he certainly deserves a shout out. I mean, the amount of intensity he played that third quarter with was through the roof. I mean, there's one play where he's jawing with Jamal Adams. He puts him in the dirt on a run block and he finishes his block. And he's, 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 he's on Adams on the ground and he's letting them know it. They get up, they will plays later. Pruitt moves the chains on second and 12 picks up about 15 yards. And then what happens? He's getting under their skin. He draws a late hit, right? There's a penalty on that play. So he adds, he, Sorry, he grabs 15 on the reception, and then you tack on another 15 for the late hit. So, Pru was absolutely terrific in this game. They fed off his energy, they fed off his intensity. Uh, He 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 was really, uh, you know, you know, as uh, Kevin Durant sometimes says, the real MVP. Man, I felt (laughs) like Pru was the real MVP
1: in this one. I fully agree with that. So that will wrap up our discussion of the Titans Seahawks game. What a win! What a comeback for the Titans! Confidence inspiring for all the fans feel much better going through the rest of the year. We knew week one was going to be fluky. We knew that that was the case, but it's still nice to see it actually happen where the Titans did come back and play strong and look like the team we saw for much of the last season and a half. Let's talk about the Colts because the Titans are not the only AFC South team to open the season with back-to-back NFC West opponents. The Titans went one-and-one in their two games the Colts lost week one to Seattle and lost last week to the Rams in a game that was a lot closer than I think a lot of people probably expected. The Rams ended up winning 27-24. Of course, one of the weirdest blocked punts I've ever seen in my life was the main catalyst for the Colts' comeback here. And what happened was the um, personal protector for the, for the Rams. For some reason, the Rams run their punt formation where that guy starts between the center and the punter. Like if he tried to snap it to the punter, it would hit him in the stomach right before the snap. The personal protector takes a step to his left, which I guess is the signal to the punter that you or to the snapper that you can snap it to the punter now, but he didn't step far enough over. So the snap comes and bounces off of his thigh and the Colts pick the ball up in the end zone and score a touchdown. It was one of the craziest plays I've ever seen on special teams. It wasn't like a block. It was like, how does the punting team Do that ever. How does that ever happen? But um, that's that was how the Colts made this game such a close game. And then they had a chance to go down and win it with Carson Wentz, but Carson Wentz was out because Aaron Donald took him down on a brutal play, wrapped him up, twisted him around. Carson Wentz sprains both of his ankles. This comes after Jonathan Taylor failed multiple times to get the ball in from the one-yard line. The Colts were stopped from the one-yard line on four straight plays, despite their mauling O-line. And they really couldn't get any short yardage stuff done against the Rams defensive front. And then Carson Wentz goes out. Jacob Easton comes in with a chance to go down and either get a game tying field goal or game winning score. And he tries to fit the ball in the honey hole on the right sideline. And Jalen Ramsey comes back, comes by downfield and picks it off to seal the whim for the Rams Colts Made it a lot closer than I think anyone expected, but the game never really felt as close as 27-24. So I think the Titans have a pretty good shot in this one. But before you and I discuss it, let's bring on our special guest, Stephen Holder of The Athletic, will join us to talk about the Colts from his perspective. Let's get to that right now. All right, we're going to bring our guests in now to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. He's a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Colts. It's Stephen Holder. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're doing pretty good. Excited to get into this game. And I want to start with what everyone's talking about this week. I know later on Wednesday, Wentz is going to try to practice to see how his ankles are feeling. But what's the mood in Indianapolis right now surrounding Carson Wentz?
0: Well, I'll tell you my personal mood. I mean, yeah. as we're recording this and things can change obviously, right? But uh, but as we're recording this as I sit here t- this evening, I don't feel terribly optimistic. I I think this thing is uh, going to be at least uh, some detriment to him on Sunday even if he does play. And here's the thing, I mean, we know that you know my partner at the Athletic, Zach Kiefer saw him leaving the facility on Monday evening, uh, did not look great. He's got the boot. He's got the little wheeled scooter uh, that he's pushing around. So that means you're putting no weight on that ankle. Now, I'm not saying that's not prudent. I'm just, you know, that we're just reading the tea leaves that we have. And between that and his inability to to even go back and take another snap on Sunday, he just couldn't put any weight on it. And the limp that he had after the game, I was surprised he didn't come in the interview room, honestly, with the boot on. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I think the best case scenario is he plays, but he's not very healthy. I, I just, I don't know how he goes from where he has been the last couple of days to ready to go and no ill effects. I mean, that just seems unlikely to me. So I think they have to brace themselves for, for him to miss this game potentially. It was crazy The play itself. I couldn't even believe he walked off the field. It looked
1: way worse than uh, just a couple of sprained ankles. Like his knee looked like it was being bent around. His ankle was like completely contorted, but he's a tough guy. And I know he's tried to play through injuries in his career, but sometimes it's to his own detriment as a player. So I'm, be interested to see how Indy treats that. I'm wondering from your perspective, what do you think Titans fans have to be concerned with the most in this game?
0: Yeah. I mean, generally it's been, I think these games have been decided at the line of scrimmage generally. Now what's weird right now is that that's where the Colts have had some issues right now. And that's a little uncharacteristic for them. Uh, I think it's particularly on the offensive line, but I don't think, this is going to be a season-long problem. They're just too talented. I I can't imagine that we'll be talking about this in week 10 and 11 and 12 about, you know, this Colts offensive line. I don't know about these guys. I, I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it would be stunning. And I think what we're seeing right now is that training camp matters. I've been telling people this, Colts fans, for a long time. You know, they kind of just blow off the fact that guys miss days in training camp. Uh, you know, he'll be back for the season. Okay. Yeah. But how's he going to (laughs) play? You know, Quinton Nelson missed almost all of, he missed all of training camp, basically. Uh, Carson Wentz missed all of training camp, but you know, he doesn't play offensive line, but he is a product of what's happening up front, obviously getting hurt. Uh, Ryan Kelly missed a majority of of the Pro Bowl center, Ryan Kelly missed a majority of training camp, and Eric Fisher has just came come off the pup list, and is you know just shoehorned in there at left tackle. God bless him, but uh, to to think that this le- that this unit is in mid season form is is preposterous. They're just not, and so I think each week they'll get a little better. You know, they, I wouldn't say they were awful this week, but I just think in in some crunch in some crunch time moments. When they had to have those guys come through, they didn't come through. And that's what's so weird about it. You know, we have seen this Colts team ebb and flow a little bit the last few years, but the one thing that they've always been able to go to under Frank Reich, their bread and butter has always been, okay, if you need two yards, just put it on the shoulders of this offensive line and they're going to go pulverize somebody. I think they're going to break out of that here at some point. They're also not playing Aaron Donald. So no offense to the Titans, but they don't have an Aaron Donald. So I I think you're going to start to see some progress there. I don't think what we're seeing, what we have seen is what we'll continue to see. Uh, Beyond that, you know, I, I I would, I want to see if Michael Pittman at wide receiver can continue this progression. I predicted this year before T.Y. Hilton got hurt that Michael Pittman would would take the helm as the number one receiver. I thought it, he was just primed, and obviously T.Y. Hilton is 31 years old. It had to happen at some point. It happened right away. T.Y. Hilton's hurt, but Michael Pittman has proven he's up to the task. They got him involved right off the bat on Sunday, and I was happy to see that because I thought they underused him in week one. Uh, he has a lot of after-the-catch potential as well, so so you you got to tackle him. And you know, he, he's gonna he's gonna catch some 50-50 balls because he's six four, but you're gonna have to tackle him after the play as well. So uh you got to be on your Qs and, and P's there.
1: He made a really nice catch down the sideline last week that I thought, how the heck did the defender not knock that one away? That was crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's he, you know, and he's he has to come through, you know, because you know, unlike Tennessee, I mean, you know, you have that group of receivers there that that obviously are the envy of a lot of teams, but the Colts have not invested like that at wide receiver. I mean, they do have some second round picks invested there. Yes. Uh, Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, who Paris Campbell didn't play on Sunday, but I don't think his injury is terribly serious. I, I think he has a chance to play this week. But my point is they have basically a, a little bit more of a a group that is unproven. So Michael Pittman, I think, is the guy who is most likely to be the breakout guy. And so he has to fulfill that role, especially with T.Y. Hilton out.
2: You know, Stephen, I'm glad that you're talking about Pittman so much because I think there's a lot of storylines to follow in this game. And there's a lot of exciting matchups, of course. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons versus Quentin Nelson will be not safe for work and it will be a, a heavyweight bout, uh, as it always is. But when I think of Pittman, people aren't talking enough about Michael Pittman versus Christian Fulton, because on mm-hmm. the Tennessee side, I can tell you that Fulton is an emerging player in his own right, has played two really good football games to start this year. These are two guys who are both in year two. And I expect them to see a healthy amount of you know one another on Sunday. You got USC with Pittman, you got LSU with with, with Fulton, two big schools, two big players in college, and and that's one I'm I'm really excited to see how that plays out on Sunday.
0: Yeah, I, I always like to see these division games kind of generate rivalries like that, you know, it's, uh, I, I can think back to, you know, the NFC, the AFC South of yesteryear, right. You know, Cortland Finnegan and, and Andre oh, yeah. Johnson. And so I'm not saying I want that level of competition. I'm just saying, uh, hopefully everybody can get along, but, uh, <laughs> it is nice that, that guys can, you know, can potentially at least, you know, have some of those rivalries that grow together and they're going to see a lot of each other over the years. You know, these are guys who are going to be under contract uh, for at least a couple more years and, you know, presumably get extended uh, and, and play into the future against each other. That makes these games, I think, more intense. And, and I think you learn a lot about those individual players and those kinds of matchups as well. So I think the division games, when you've got premier matchups like that, that's where you get the good stuff. I mean, you know, we saw Quentin Nelson against Aaron Donald, for example, on Sunday, you're only going to see that like every four years, you know, that's just there in the ones in the AFC ones in the NFC It is what it is. But uh, when, when you've got those premier matchups, not that this is at that level, but, but when you have those interesting matchups in division, I love it. So let's see it. I want to quickly touch on Jacob Eason.
2: Uh what are your thoughts on him and the Colts' chances to win this game if it is Jacob under center?
0: Well, I think one of the things that that you just run into with young quarterbacks and we're seeing tons of, of rookie quarterbacks playing this year, you know. Yeah. Um there's there've been five guys that have seen significant playing time as rookies this year. Jacob Eason is basically a rookie. He, he didn't take a single snap last season. He was basically just holding a clipboard all year, no training camp, no preseason. So he's a rookie in my book. Right. And what you get with those guys is you get defensive coordinators just say, all right, we'll just keep throwing stuff at them until they, uh, until they prove they can take it, you know, until they prove they can deal with it. And so uh, I think you're going to (laughs) see Mike Vrabel say, all right, well, we're going to test this guy. And, and then be very interested to see how that goes. I mean, he, is he ready? No, he's not ready. I'm just telling you now, he's not ready. Uh, it's it's really gonna have to be a team effort. They're gonna have to run the ball substantially better to give him an opportunity to, be, uh, t- to hold his own in this game. You're gonna have to curtail the game plan if he has to play. So now the menu has to shrink. That plays into the hands of the defense. So that's definitely uh, a win for the Titans. I just think it's going to take a really creative game plan. Uh, It's going to take a great effort by everyone around him. And you're just going to have to not put the game in his hands. I mean, there were times on Sunday uh, against the Rams where Carson Wentz said, you know what, no one's making a play, so I'll make the play. And he just said, I'll put this game in my hands. And obviously that ended when he got hurt. but, But there was a moment there where, you know, he just said, all right, I'm going to have to do this myself. And I don't know that Jacob Eason. you can't look to him to do that. The other thing is he's not the athlete that Carson Wentz is. Now, he's not a statue, but he he doesn't have the the inclination or really the ability to to run and to stress the defense that way, the way Carson Wentz does. I think that's such an underrated part of Carson Wentz's game that I've come to appreciate. Watching him is just – the ability he has to, when all else fails, just say, all right, you know what? I can run a 4 6 and I'm just going to do it. And he was able to do that on Sunday and and pick up some really huge first downs. That is not really part of the, the, the package with Jacob Eason. So he's going to have to find ways to win otherwise.
1: Yeah, it'll be a really interesting game if Jacob Eason has to play, but I think it could be a pretty good matchup if Wentz gets out there. You know, those division matchups are always closer than you expect, no matter how good either team is. So I'm curious here to wrap it up with our last question for you tonight. What are your expectations for how this game actually plays out? You don't have to pick a final score, but who do you see coming out on top?
0: I just think right now the Colts, uh, their injury situation is really tough. Obviously, Carson Wentz is a big part of that, but they've had a lot of other guys beat up as well. You know, Braden Smith at right tackle, for example, is he going to be able to play? Darius Leonard is playing, has been playing, but listen, you'll see if he's, um, unless he has a miraculous recovery, he doesn't look like Darius Leonard right now. He had ankle surgery. He's really well below 100% in my estimation. So I I just think there's a lot for them to overcome. Xavier Rhodes, by the way, hasn't played this year. I think Xavier Rhodes was a very welcome surprise last year uh, for the Colts, and I thought played at a surprisingly high level. Uh, Going up against that cast of receivers with the the Colts' lack of depth at corner, we'll see if he plays. He has a chance to play. But, you know, again, he's been out a while. What's he going to play like? What's his conditioning? You know, so... They've got a lot of moving parts from an injury standpoint that I just think are are probably too much to overcome against a really physical team and a team coming off a big win that I think is going to give them tons of confidence. I think they're finding their way, you know, so um, I don't like the Colts chances to be completely honest. I really don't. I wish I could say otherwise, but I don't love the Colts in this game. I really don't. Well, I think our listeners will like that, at least, even
1: if uh, Colts <laughs> fans don't. So, Stephen, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank you for giving us your time and your insight. And we hope to have you on again, maybe later in the season.
0: All right. Hey, you got it. No problem, guys. It was fun.
1: All right. Thanks again to Stephen Holder for his time tonight. Justin, I'm going to turn it back over to you now. Thoughts on how the Titans approach this matchup with the Colts this week of practice, not really knowing who the quarterback's going to be. What do you think they do in practice?
2: I think they probably prepare a little bit for both of them, but I mean, it's not a bad place to be in. I mean, the Titans have to feel good about their chances in this football game. They're coming off a great team win, a great comeback win. The Colts are 0-2. I mean, this is a hurting football team. I mean, it's not just Wentz. It's the offensive lines and banged up and underperforming. You got Darius Leonard who's clearly, uh, you know, playing well below the level that we expect him to be at. So this is a team that's that's going nowhere fast truthfully the it feels like they're on the brink of this even being a lost season you know if they lose this one you're 0 3 you're, you're banged up, you're, you know, you're, you're full of injuries here. So the Titans should feel good about their chances. With that said, they better not take them lightly and drop it because <laughs> wouldn't that just be the ultimate Titans thing to do, right? To, to have that great comeback win and then, and then come lay an egg uh, against a divisional opponent that they should handle. But uh, all kidding aside, I don't expect that to happen. I think the Colts are in a bad place right now and I do expect the Titans to win this game handedly.
1: See, but that's the thing though, is it was 27-24 against a really good Rams team. And I know Carson Wentz may not play, but Carson Wentz may play and he may play banged up. But if he plays, that adds a lot of stability to this Colts team. And even if he doesn't play, you know, Frank Reich is going to have a full week prepping Jacob Easton, which is a lot different situation than just throwing him in in the fourth quarter, down three points. We got to go score to win the game type of situation. Division games are always weird. And there are some warning signs here. A huge comeback for the Titans can often lead to a letdown the following week. They had to travel pretty far. A West Coast, North West Coast specific game. Back to Nashville for this one. There's all these like, you know, sometimes you come off a huge high like that and you have a letdown. Now, I do think that Mike Vrabel is not going to let them take this week easy. It's a division game. You got to have it. And so I do think the Titans will ultimately come out on top. But I won't be surprised if it's a little sloppy, if it's a little bit of a slugfest here, if it's like seven to three at halftime and things really open up in the second half, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think the Titans have still got to worry about this Colts defense, not because they're necessarily a great unit, but they're well coached and they always seem to have a beat on what the Titans are doing. These two teams play a lot. They're going to be ready for the play action game. They're going to be ready to try to stop Derrick Henry. I know a lot of people will point to last year's game where Henry had like 160 yards and two touchdowns at halftime or whatever it was, maybe three touchdowns. He had a crazy stat line at halftime last, last year. But the Colts were missing their two best interior defensive linemen in that game, DeForest Buckner and Danico Autry. So we have the revenge game aspect for Autry here. Hopefully he gets a sack just to kind of stick it to his former team. But I don't think this is as easy as it looks. I'm still picking a Titans win. But it's not going to be like a 30-3 to three Titans come out and dominate their division opponent game because the Colts under Frank Reich, that's just not the team that they are. You're not going to get that.
2: You know, I, I know I said that they'd win handedly, but you almost got me second-guessing myself now because I think you make a lot of really good points. I could see this being close. I really could. I think the Colt, this Colts team will be desperate 0-2, you know, 0-3. I mean, you, almost might, you might as well write off the year almost if you start 0-3. Uh, especially if the Titans are two and one, you're already behind them in the division. You've already lost a game to them uh, is what I should say there, but and you, under Frank Reich. They're a well-coached team. So I, I can see the Colts coming out and putting up a good fight. I, I don't think that's
1: out of the realm of possibility. Let me be clear. Final score prediction. I'm going to go 27, 20 Titans, but that last score for the Colts is late. I'll go 30, 17 Titans. I like it. I like it. All right. Anything else to say before we wrap up this episode? No,
2: I think that's it. Uh, Again, I, I say this every week, but I hope you guys are enjoying the quality of guests. Uh, that, that we're bringing on here every week. You know, S- uh, Stephen Holder was a terrific guest, does excellent work for The Athletic uh, covering the Colts. I mean, uh, we're Titans guys, and, and, and I make it a point to read Steven's work as often as I can. That really says a lot about him and the quality that he's producing. So hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, looking forward to uh, coming back next
1: week with uh, uh, one of similar quality. I'm glad you said that because that's a nice reminder to everyone out there Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that little five-star rating. Leave a little few words of review. Justin and Justin are awesome. I love listening to them. It really helps us grow the show, which we love to continue growing the show. It's why we move to Wednesdays. It's not really why, but we we're going to say that's why our schedule's forced us to move. But we're trying to grow the show. That's why we moved to Wednesdays. All right, that'll do it for us here at the Music City Audible. Thanks again to all of you for tuning in and listening to the end. We really appreciate it. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check out Justin's Gridiron Grades, a really thorough recap of last week's game, going position by position. You got you to read that every single week. Put it on your calendars, bookmark it, because that's a must read, in my opinion. Lots of great content over at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We got tons of podcasts for you, football and other F-words, Coach's Corner, and everything else we have going on. Make sure you're checking that out. Be sure you're following Justin on Twitter, at JustinM underscore NFL. Of course, I am at Titans Film Room. That'll do it for us this week. Until next Wednesday, you guys stay safe out there and Titan up.
0: A Broadway Sports
2: Media Production.